Good morning, good morning to you. Good morning, good morning to Good morning, good morning. Won't you share with a friend or two? Good morning, good morning to you. Good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome, welcome, welcome to Daring Dialogues. I'm your host today, Shante Charles, and it is Thinking Thursday, Theology Thursday. I hope that you've been having a great and wonderful day so far. Imagine my surprise on yesterday when I woke to so many people watching that short clip that's right here on Daring Dialogues IG where um, I began to just kind of discuss and show some of the news articles that have been coming out of different artists who have been robbed (laughs) um, by the systems of this world when it comes to their artistry and when it comes to their music, acting, producing, Uh, songwriting, uh, all of that stuff. And I was very uh, surprised that my little short video got as many um, views as it did. So um, sometimes, you know, you tend to think no one's listening. (laughs) Uh, But then I got up this morning and I and I saw that it had like over 2000 views. And um, even the well-known artist Yolanda Adams uh, stopped by to check it out and like the video. So um, I'm glad. I'm glad that more people are waking up to the system and the ways in which it disenfranchises people. Um, Hopefully the right people will see that video and realize that some necessary changes need to be made. On my TikTok today, I left a somewhat humorous video I might post it on uh, Black Table Talk but I was thinking about that song White Christmas as I'm preparing for um, my carol karaoke tomorrow and I think I have a good lineup it's not going to be a long uh, presentation I'm just going to do a few carols just to thank people Um, but as I was preparing for it uh, one of the songs was White Christmas and I just started making up my own song to the tune and I called it Black Christmas. So if you are on TikTok, you can go check that song out today. I'm dreaming of a Black Christmas and see what I have to say. Um, And if you are listening by Spotify, our TikTok is the same name as our podcast and that is Daring Dialogue. Today we are hopping into Esau Macaulay's work again, Reading While Black. And believe it or not, we are well on our way to um, completing his work. I do believe we're going to complete his work this season, which is going to give me opportunity for us to pick another book for Thinking Thursday. So um, I will probably put up a picture of some potential books and I'll let you all choose which one you want to get into. So look for that. Probably on next week, I'll have something picked out. I have a few books picked out and we will 
do a little vote here right on IG and you all can tell me which one you want us to get into next. All right, so we are looking at his chapter five, Black and Proud, and we're looking at the section entitled Two Africans, One Cross. Black presence at the beginning of Christianity. Black presence at the beginning of Christianity. So let's hop in because I do want us to um, hopefully get through this section today. The Hebrew scriptures looks to a multi-ethnic fellowship within the people of God. Was this vision and the inclusion of black and brown bodies ever realized in the New Testament? Were the promises to the patriarchs and the vision of the kingdom lost when the first worshipers of Jesus finally gathered to sing praises to his name? To answer that question, let us begin before the resurrection with the last moments of the life of Christ. It has often been said that Mary was the first disciple because her yes to God in Luke 1 and 38 led to the birth of Christ. Paul likened his ministry to labor pains in Galatians 4 and 19. And good morning to everyone coming in. But Mary experienced real physical pain to bring the Messiah into the world. For that, she receives perpetual honor and will ever be known as the Blessed One. Nonetheless, the picture of discipleship that comes to define early Christianity is the image of taking up of one's cross, Matthew 10 and 38 and Matthew 16, 24. Paul expresses a similar idea in Romans when he says, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him, Romans 8 and 17. In the strange economy of the kingdom, the cross is glory. But who then is the first bearer of the cross other than our Lord? Mark adds an interesting detail in his account of the passion of Christ. He says that Simon of Cyrene was compelled to carry the cross. Cyrene is a city in North Africa in what we now call Libya. In the same way that Mary's giving birth is seen as an image of Christian faithfulness, Simon's cross-carrying is a physical manifestation of the spiritual reality that Christian discipleship involves the embrace of suffering. Now, let me reiterate again <laughs> that the area that we currently call the Middle East is also Northeast Africa. So for me, this question of an African presence in the Bible is a moot point because the whole entire area was Northeast Africa that was renamed for geopolitical reasons to do what we see happening today, which is not going very well if you're paying attention to what's happening in Gaza. Okay, now back to the reading. Mark states that Simon is the father of Rufus and Alexander. Why mention these men? The most logical answer is that Rufus and Alexander were known to be Mark's audience. If anyone was tempted to doubt the veracity of Mark's account of the crucifixion, they could ask Rufus and Alexander, who were living members of the Christian community. We cannot say for sure when or how, but at some point this African father became convinced of the truth of the gospel and passed that faith to his sons and possibly his wife. 
This is referenced in Romans 16, verse 13. At the moment in which Christ is reconciling the world to himself on the cross, this African family is making its first steps towards the kingdom. The family of Simon the Cyrene are not the only African believers in the early church. The book of Acts tells us that the persecution of Christians in the aftermath of Stephen's martyrdom led some believers to leave Jerusalem, which is also Northeast Africa. Those fleeing began to preach the gospel outside the holy city in Acts 8 verse 4. This evangelistic work fulfilled the promise that believers would be witnesses to Jesus from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, based on Acts 1 and 8. Philip was one of those who left Jerusalem and spread the gospel. Acts 8 and 26 tells us that as he went along, an angel directed him to take the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. The angel redirected him so that he might encounter an Ethiopian eunuch in charge of the treasury for the queen mother of Ethiopia. Within the narrative world of Acts, the conversion of this Ethiopian manifests God's concern for the nations of the world. Philip approaches him and discovers that he is already reading a passage from Isaiah. Well, if he's already reading a passage from Isaiah, how does he have access to a text that he's already reading? He's not being given the text. He already has it in his possession. The Ethiopian could only be familiar with Isaiah if he already knew something of the God of Israel. This shows a deep African connection to the God of the Bible. The passage that he was reading from Isaiah says, Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearers, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And this is found in Acts 8, verses 32 and 33, and Isaiah 57, verses 7 through 8. This text is an enigma to the Ethiopian, so he asked Philip to explain it. We are not told what Philip says. We do know that Isaiah 52, verses 13 through 53, verses 12, which recounts the fate of the suffering servant, was a central text in early Christian interpretation of Jesus' death found again in Galatians 1 and 4 and Galatians 2 and 20 and Romans 4 and 25 and Romans 8 and 32. In its Old Testament context, the servant narrative of Isaiah 53 is preceded by the announcement of a new exodus. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of it. Purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Isaiah 52, verse 11 through 12. But the question remains, how can this liberation that Isaiah foresees occur? The answer is that the servant of Isaiah 53. He is the one who was despised and rejected, but nonetheless bore our suffering and was pierced for our transgressions. The early Christians interpreted Isaiah 53 as a reference to Jesus, whose death for sins reconciles Israel and the world to God. This might have been what Philip explained to the Ethiopian. The person described in this passage, the one who suffers to reconcile us, is none other than Jesus the Messiah, who was alive and reigning with God on high. 
In other words, Philip could have told him about the glorious contradiction of a crucified Messiah and the gospel did its work. When we combine the account of Simon with that of the Ethiopian eunuch, we find here that two Africans notably are brought to the Christian faith by means of powerful encounters with the cross. This story of Jesus crucified and risen drew the Ethiopian in and led him to be baptized. Again, this shows clearly that Africans are drawn to Christianity in much the same way as everyone else. This also shows that conversion to Christianity happens centuries and centuries before any contact with colonization in the ideas around colonization and imperialism. Christ died for our sins to reconcile us to God. So yes, it is inappropriate to say that all black people or all Africans were introduced to Christianity through the practice of enslavement or colonization. I find significance in the fact that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading from a particular portion of the servant's narrative namely the portion where it says that justice was denied him. The eunuch was not materially poor, but as one who had been castrated, he was in a socially ambiguous position because eunuchs were often despised. In a culture which strictly defined gender roles, he would be seen as aberrant. It is possible that he felt that what had been done to him was a grave injustice for which he was forced for his own safety to keep silent like the silently suffering Christ. Was there a point of connection between the rejection the servant experienced and the rejection that the eunuch experienced? If the eunuch did connect with Jesus as the one who suffered injustice, then he would be at a starting point of an unending stream of black believers who found their own dignity and self-worth through the dignity and power that Christ received at his resurrection. Maybe the eunuch's conversion is an example of the inversion spoken by Paul where he says in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29, Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are so that no one might boast in the presence of God. This eunuch, who would have been seen culturally as a despised thing, found hope in the shamed Messiah, whose resurrection lifts those with imposed indignities to places of honor. This indignity was not ontological. The eunuch remained an image bearer. Christ showed the eunuch who he truly was. Christ similarly does not convey worth on ontologically inferior blackness. Those of African descent are image bearers in the same way as anyone else. What Christ does is liberate us to become what we are truly meant to be, redeemed, transformed citizens of the kingdom. These reflections on suffering and justice and indignity as a point of connection do not stand in competition with the atoning work of Christ on the cross. It does highlight a particular aspect of biblical theological reflection to be considered more fully in the next chapter, namely that through the cross, black Christians recover their sense of self. We take comfort in the fact that the son suffered injustice, but was nonetheless vindicated by God. This gives us hope for our own vindication. 
What do stories of Simon and the Ethiopian eunuch mean for Black Christianity? They show that the story of early Christianity is, in part, our story as well. We are at the cross. We are at the beginning of the emerging of the Christian community. There is no evidence that Simon or the Ethiopian felt that one could not be both African and Christian. Their stories also demonstrate that the cross played a strong role in their conversion and that a connection to Jesus' unjust suffering may stand as an aspect of early African faith. Finally, we see in the story of Simon the possibility that that faith that began with his encounter with the cross was passed down organically to his family members who were well known among the first readers of Mark's gospel. Now, what we also know, as I close uh, the reading today, now what we also know is um, the earliest known and existing manuscripts are still with the Ethiopian church. It's with the Ethiopian believers. And um, there are some Orthodox, um, Orthodox Ethiopian churches here. Um, I know in my community in Maryland, and then you could actually check out where the um, Orthodox Ethiopian churches are here across the United States. So if you're really interested in going back and connecting with a tradition that has been unbroken, I would start there. Um, I would start with a visit. Try going to visit a service in an Orthodox Ethiopian setting and see what it feels like. Um, get outside of your way of doing things and explore a little bit. See what it's like from that context. All right. That is what I wanted to share today. I'm going to open it up. We have got a good 30 minutes here to chop it up. 30, 32 minutes here to chop it up. So if you would like to join me on the broadcast, please click on the camera and I will bring you on. If you are listening by Google, Spotify, Anchor, or any other streaming platform, I want to say thank you for your time and attention today. This has been another episode of Daring Dialogues, and I've been your host today, Shantae Charles. Remember, light is the most daring opposition to darkness, so continue to go out and be light. Be sure to follow us, subscribe, and like us on our various platforms, Daring Dialogues on Twitter, Daring Dialogues on TikTok, Daring Dialogues on Facebook, Black Table Talk on Facebook, and Daring Dialogues on Instagram. Thank you so much. Be well, and most importantly, be liked.